Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 161, where in a moment we chat claims management companies. That's in just a second, as I say. But please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows because in our programmes to date, we featured loads of stuff, mortgages, investing, wills and powers of attorney and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last time we chatted Win With Your Finances with guest expert Claire Humphreys of Will To Win. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get us there. As I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis, and here's the star of our show, Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? Good, thank you. Okay, so claims management companies. Uh, First things first, what is a claims management company? Yeah, a a claims management company is pretty much a, a firm or individual that can help you make a claim, but they would charge you for, for your services. So, for example, if you think you've been missold any financial product or service, you could use a claims management firm to help you with that complaint. Or if a financial firm was to go out of business, a claims management company could act on your behalf to help claim compensation if you've had any kind of grievances with them as well. So so that's really what, what kind of claims management companies do. They, they're really acting on your behalf to help with any sort of complaints that you you might have. Would they have would they have been the same sort of people? Remember there was the, the big thing went on forever in a day and it was claim your PPI now. Would they have been the same people involved in that sort of thing? Yeah, that's it. So in, in over the years we've had like PPI claims going in. I mean, that was a big thing for, for a long time. We had endowment mis-selling. That was the one probably before that. So what you find is these companies they almost not move on to different things in, in stages, but the, the PPI claims are what's called time barred. So you, you only had a certain time to be able to put in a complaint about that. Same with endowments as well. But there, there's oh, there, there could be a lot of different reasons why someone has like grievances with, with financial companies. It could be, I, I think looking at complaints, banks get a, a lot of complaints mm. about different things. Financial advisors, I think looking at the complaints that go to like the financial ombudsman, financial advisors don't make up so much of those complaints, but the, the ambulance chasers, as they're known in the, the industry, <laughs> or the, the claims handling companies, they, they're always looking for an angle to try and think, right, how can we get compensation for, for people? So they're, they're always, it's not a game of cat and mouse, but um, they're always looking for like, the excuses that people have been had issues, but uh, sometimes they kind of prompt things when clients are happy enough with, with what they've been advised or or whatever. Yeah, because quite. I mean, it used to be for ages, forever in a day, you would see on the TV or you'd hear the radio claim your PPI now, and then when when that actually went by the 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 time coding, as you say, you think right, that's the last of those, and then the next thing is, did you buy a car with a diesel engine? You know, it's it, all all these things. Yeah, there's always the next one. There's always the next one coming around, which begs the question. I mean, they take a percentage, presumably, of any anything that they they make back for you, yeah. but are they regulated by the FCA? They, they are, well, claims claims management companies, they must be authorised by the Financial Conduct Authority 
if the claim is relating to financial services and financial products, some claims management companies are regulated by legal regulators. So you get a lot of solicitors will do this type of work as well. Now, they're regulated instead by, usually it would be the Solicitors Regulation Authority, or if they're in Scotland, it would be the Law Society of Scotland. If you're using a claims management firm, what I would always urge people to do is to check the FCA register to make sure the firm is authorised. If you can't find them on that red register, then you could check like the SRA, the Solicitor Regulation Authority, or the Law Society of Scotland. You can check their websites to see if, if they're on there. And if they're not on either of that websites or the FCA website, then the chances are it's maybe not a, a kosher company because they do need to be regulated by, by some of that bodies. Okay, well, assuming that they are, Phil, I mean... I can recall going and claiming something once and I did it on my own and I got stuck in like a, a sort of vortex of letters going back and forth and emails going back and forth with the people I was trying to claim from. I assume one of the benefits of using this is that the, the FCA, the, 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 um, the claims management company, take all of that sort of out of your hands. That's what they're being paid for at the end of the day is to give you a sort of hassle-free experience, one assumes. Yeah, the, the main benefits I would say are claims management companies is that they're doing all of the work for you. That, that's experienced as well. So they should really know what to look out for and, and they should also be able to kind of have a good idea if someone's been poorly advised or missold a financial product. There, there is a wee bit of me that's a bit cynical saying, well, they're going to look to find things because they're mm. going to get paid if if that's the case. Because a lot of these companies, they, they tend to work on a no-win, no-fee basis. And I guess that's a benefit to a lot of people as well. So if nothing comes of any complaint, it's not cost them them anything. Claims management companies, they, they will also look at information to see if you've got a genuine reason to try and complain. They deal with all the paperwork. They'll keep you right with the whole process. So there are quite a number of benefits to, to using these sort of firms. And as always, we, we sort of look at the flip side. What are the, the disadvantages of using one of them? I, I'd probably say the main disadvantage is that quite often, I, I think it's very high charges. Many will charge around 25% of any compensation paid out, plus you've got VAT on top of that. Now, to, to give you an example, there's a chap that, that I know quite well. He was given poor financial advice in relation to what's called a defined benefit pension transfer. Now, that, that transfer took place a number of years ago, but his complaint went in about a couple of years back, um, and he got it paid out one point last year. Now, this chap received £250,000 in compensation, um, but the claims firm took 50 grand plus VAT, so it was 60000 wow. So, So actually, out of the money, out of that 250000 he only got one hundred and ninety. I guess the argument could be, well, if they didn't help him claim, he may never have done that and wouldn't have got anything. So I, I guess there, there's an argument to be made to say, well, this chap got money that he maybe wouldn't have otherwise. But when I look at that with my knowledge, because complaining is quite an easy thing to, to do if you know what you're you're kind of looking for, I guess. But I, I just always feel, I mean, we, we would charge a maximum usually if somebody's investing money, the most they would ever pay is 3% of the, the amount they're investing. And here's these companies taking off like 25%. It's about a quarter. If, yeah, it's about a quarter. I mean, sometimes on smaller claims, it can be as much as 30%. So the, the fees can be pretty hefty in, in some of these cases. 
I mean, I, I assume that what they would argue is, well, we make all that information available up front and in writing and, and all of that because they have to legally, I assume, don't they? Yeah, that's it. They, they, they would send out usually like a, a terms of business and that would detail all the costs and, and charges. So that's all stuff that, that they would go through at quite an early stage. They, they should be covering that sort of things off. But um, like I say, for some people, they'll think, right, I'm getting something as opposed to nothing. There's a lot of apathy around with people. And I guess that's one thing with the claims management companies. They probably know the best way to word things, the best way to put things across. And and if you have got any issue with, with something... I suppose. I mean, it's it's a sort of a cut and a cut and paste um, thing for them in a in a a lot of cases where you know if something's worked before, then it's probably going to work again if you've got someone in similar circumstances. The the thing in balance, Phil, is if you're sitting there and you're considering you know whether you should make a claim and use these guys to do it, you're talking about you know a quarter of the fee there being uh, or a quarter of the the money being reclaimed there going to that company. On balance, is it worth it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of money given for the actual amount of work that they're doing. As, as you say, they've probably got a lot of templates and stuff out there as well. If you actually broke it down an hourly rate, it would probably work out at a fair amount per hour that you were actually paying yeah. for, for their services. But I, I guess if they help you get compensation that you might not have been able to get yourself, then yeah. But however, you don't actually need a claims management company to, to make a claim or put in any complaints it is actually free and, and simple to do yourself. And if you're concerned about the process, you can get free guidance from there. There's a website called Money Helper. So that website address is www.moneyhelper.org.uk. It's really good for kind of explaining the process and how it all sort of works. The, the financial regulator, one good thing is it does now have a cap as to the maximum fees that somebody can be charged by the claims management firms. So this this relates to claims that are started on or after the 1st of March 2022. So that one for the chap that I'd mentioned earlier where he got stung for 60 grand. Now, if he was making a claim now and it had started after the 1st of March 2022, the, the amount that he would pay, it wouldn't be 60,000 anymore. Under the new rules, it would now be 37,500 plus VAT, which then works out at 45,000. So... Under the new rules, that would save him sort of 15 grand under that. So, like I say, that's only for claims that were started on or after the 1st of March 2022. This new cap then, Phil, is is 37.5 plus the, the rate. Is that the actual cap or is the cap a percentage of what you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, they, they do it on a percentage. Right. Um, you, you tend to find a lot of these companies, I mean, they can charge a fixed fee. And if, if they were charging that, I think the maximum is £10,000 as the, the maximum fee there. The maximum percentage that can be charged. So if you're if you're awarded between £1 and, and £1,500, they can charge up to 30%. That then between, say, 10000 and 25000 it's 25%. And then once you get to, say, 50000 plus, it drops to 15% at, at that point. So that is one good thing, at least the fees... Because, like, I wouldn't say people were getting ripped off at that kind of amount, but like I say, if you broke it down to an hourly rate, that would be a horrendous amount that you're you're paying for their services. Yeah, you'd find Hollywood actors be moving out of Hollywood and moving into claims management because it's a better <laughs> rate per hour. Right, so we covered quite a lot of ground there. It's probably worth just sort of summarising what you have to consider when using a claims management company. 
Yeah, I'd say the, the things to consider, like if you want to make a complaint or claim, I mean, you can do compensation yourself. You would need to, to sort of follow the right process. If you're concerned, you've got organisations like Money Helper that, that may be able to help you. If you're complaining about a financial product or service, the, the way that it works is, first of all, you've got to complain directly to the firm you're complaining about. So you've got to give them the opportunity to, to put things right. So, for example, if you had taken financial advice and you weren't happy with that advice, you've got to go back to that firm initially and say, right, I'm not happy, I want to complain, and they would investigate it. Now, if they don't uphold your complaint or if you're not happy with a response, or indeed, I've seen some firms that are just not bothered to reply to complaints, which is just ludicrous. Yeah. But if if you weren't happy with a response, you can then refer the matter to what's called the, the financial ombudsman service, or in the trade, we often call it FOS as the, the initials for, for that. If the firm that you're complaining against has gone out of business, then you would go through what's called the financial services compensation scheme. So there's a couple of different routes and avenues depending on whether that company is still trading or not. Okay, uh, when you when you say you've got two sort of places you can go, the financial ombudsman or the financial services compensation scheme, you said yeah. there if a company's gone out of business, does that include if they've been bought over or changed name or, or whatever else? You know, had a, had a sort of um, you know a, a makeover if you like, and, and decided we're not going to be called because they ch- they do change names all the time. We're not going to be called yeah. Bob Sheriff anymore. We're going to be called Sheriff Bob or whatever. You'll tend to find the what will happen there. So, for example, I, I took over a chap's business over 10 years ago. Now, the liability for the advice that he gave at the time rests with him. Now, now that his company's wound up, in that circumstances, if somebody had a complaint about that, that would go to the financial services compensation scheme. You, you will find, like with some of the big insurance companies, for example, they're always like a lot of them are often getting taken over. So one example just now, there's a company called Embark that's just been taken over by Scottish Widows. What you probably find in that case is that Scottish Widows are probably taking on all their liability as well. So it can differ in, in certain cases, but again, claims management companies would keep you right on, on those sort of things if you were using one as well. Okay. Does it cost anything for the likes of Financial Ombudsman or, or the FSCS to look at things? No, there's no cost to go through the, the FSCS or the, the ombudsman. The the way that they're funded is actually by levies to financial services firms. And it's something that always gets my goat because we, we pay levies for these things. And I think we're paying for the, the folk that haven't given good advice, whereas we're always looking to give good advice, be honest with people. Mm. So it, it's a bit, I, I don't know, I always think the way it's funded is a bit it's a bit ironic that it's the good guys that are paying for the ones that maybe yeah. haven't done such a, a good job. But out, out there, you've got I mean, the, the Financial Ombudsman Service, like I say, it's free, it's easy to use. They settle complaints between consumers and businesses that provide financial services, and they're there to resolve disputes fairly and impartially, and they've got the power to, to put things right. And even if the business had gone out of business, you, you've still got the Financial Services Compensation Scheme, which is the, the UK's statutory compensation scheme of last resort. So they would pay out claims against firms where there'd maybe been any unsuitable advice, but if that firm's unable to, to meet their commitments, usually if they're they're insolvent, then you've got that protection there as well, which is good. Okay. All sounds all sounds good. I I, I mean I you said you 
complaining is quite easy to do. I know if I have the time, and that I think is probably the the yeah the the thing here. If you have the time, I quite like getting locked into a, a series of letters or emails going back and forth trying to claim something. I don't you know. I like using words when I get the chance, Phil. Now, as we always do on your podcast, we take a look at how our subject matter has affected your own life, both professionally and and personally. So, what do you want to focus on from today's show on claims management companies? Yeah, I, I see adverts popping up all the time for, for claims management firms or, or for firms who introduce people to claims management firms. Because it's important to note there are some companies out there where they'll try to find the leads, they'll pass it on to the claims management company, and then they'll get a kickback from them mm-hmm. if something goes ahead. But I, I see all these adverts popping up quite regularly. And like I say, in the past, you used to have claims firms targeting people for endowment mis-selling. You then had the PPI mis-selling. And now they've moved on to a whole host of other things. And the, the latest wave of adverts that I seem to see coming up are ones that are targeting people who've taken out investments. And the adverts often say things like, was the risks properly explained to you? So that seems to be the sort of things. One that I think will come up quite a lot in the future, a lot of people pay for ongoing financial advice. Now, I know some firms that they charge people for that, but they're not necessarily kind of giving them a good service for for that charge. So if anybody's being charged fees for something, the regulator would be expecting to see a good paper trail of what you're actually doing for Mm. for that client. One thing I would say about the, the financial ombudsman is they're not there to compensate for poor performance. So if someone had an investment and it wasn't maybe performing so well, they, they would tend to find that sort of complaints would tend to get thrown out. However, where there might be an angle is if somebody's investment was to go down and maybe their attitude to risk wasn't established properly when the advice was taken out. Mm. I mean, so you, you, let's say you had somebody down as a balanced or speculative investor, but it turned out that they were really cautious. But again, that's probably, they, they got a bit hard to prove, but financial firms will tend to be have, sort of questions that the last people um, we covered it, or Andrew covered it, I think a couple of weeks ago in the podcast. Exactly right. So so firms will tend to be quite robust in that sort of process. But you do get some that, that don't have good paper trails. And if that's the case, you you may well be able to, to kind of have some sort of claim with, with them. Just going back a second, you said that you see a sort of big future in, for claims management companies looking at firms that say they provide an ongoing um, financial service. Yeah if they don't provide a paper trail. Presumably their argument against that was, well, we were always here, we were always open for business. And if they'd approached us, if our client had said, we need you to do this, then we'd have jumped and, and you know got off the seat and actually gone and done it for them. But they didn't require us to do anything. Therefore, we just held the service on standby, if you like. That's going to be their argument back, is it? Yeah, I, I've actually, almost word for word, the way you've put it, I've, I've spoke to, I, I know a guy that works for a, a big financial advice firm, and, and that's almost the way that he says it. It's like, well, we charge this fee, but they know they've got access to financial advice at any time. But yeah. I don't think if it's a complaint, it wouldn't really wash, I don't think, because they, they, they want to see, right, the clients have got to be told, for example, every year how much that ongoing charges are. And not only as a percentage, if it's charged that way, but in pounds and pence as well. So like our firm, we send out letters to the clients after we've gone through everything. And that'll say, like, we we charge such and such per annum, which equates to such and such per month. So it's all documented in there. But the advisors are covering all of that. And, and, and what we want is to say, look, 
you're taking on good financial advice. We want to show you why we're worth the fees that we're, mm-hmm. we're charging for, for that. But yeah, that, that's the sort of things that complaints companies are starting to kind of get hone in on that type of thing at the minute mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Our financial services is always here for you on tap. All you have to do is turn us on. Yeah. I can, I can hear it now. <laughs> also in the podcast, a regular bit we delve into is uh, Phil's quote of the week, being a fan as Phil is of influential and motivational sayings and quotes. What do you have this week on our topic of claims management companies, Phil? Yeah. I got one from somebody called Anna Leon Owens. I think that's how it's pronounced. It's probably a designed to, to come for, for this topic, but the, the quote <laughs> this week, there is compensation in all things. <laughs> now, Phil is uh, really keen on trying to help you with your query. So if ever you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if you prefer. Let's get on to this week's contact details coming up in a moment. Give it to you after this. The first one is from Ryan in Inverness. Hi, Phil. I know you always talk about markets and things like predicting inflation as educated guesses at best and that no one has a crystal ball. So, I want to ask something slightly different to that. If inflation continues to fall within the government's targets, would you expect employers to then honour pay rises based on that rate? Or are we forever doomed to more strike action? They recently announced that the UK inflation rate in September was 6.7%. So that, I think that had been the same from the, the month before. So it has it had been coming down, but then it stayed the, the same. Now, I was having a look, according to the Office for National Statistics, the UK annual growth in pay, now this excludes bonuses, in June June to August 2023, it was 7.8%. And if we actually include bonuses, it was 8.1%. So that's actually sitting at higher than, than what inflation is at the minute. Now, they, they do think that inflation will start to, to come down. It wouldn't surprise me now if interest rates was to maybe go up again. And all these factors are designed to try and take inflation down. So it, if inflation does come down, although I know it didn't, this last past month, if it does come down, I would expect pay increases to kind of slow as as inflation mm. comes down. Mm. Okay, it's just when you said the nice interest rates go up again, did you hear me? I just go, oh, that was on behalf of the entire audience. Next <laughs> up, uh, here's one from Katie who asks, "Hi Phil, I keep hearing about the triple lock pension being under threat. I feel stupid asking about it because I have a pension, but I've no clue what the triple lock is and whether or not I should be worrying about it." Can you explain it, please? The triple lock that the state pension rises each year by the highest of three measures. So so what they do is they take inflation and they say, right, what is, is that? So, for example, I said the figure 6.7%. The, the other figure that they look at is average earnings or 2.5%. So out of that three factors, whichever is the highest of those, that is how much the state pension goes up the following year. So, so what that's designed to do, it's it's designed that the state pension in real terms doesn't lose kind of value. But I would say, I mean, they, they, they can change it. I mean, we're, we're coming up not that far off from a, an election. It wouldn't go down well with, with pensioners or people who have already retired if, if they were to change that policy and they make up a big share of, of voters. So, Again, without being cynical, you kind of probably wouldn't expect it to change just in the short term. But there was a year, I think, not that long ago where they they, they kind of made an exception for one year that it wasn't going to be adhered to. And you you never know. Different governments come in with different policies and things can 
change, but it, it certainly wouldn't be a, a vote winner, that's for sure, if some one of the parties was to come out and say that they were going to do away with it, for example. But it would affect you more if you're already retired, if you are like somebody in your 30s or 40s, it's not really going to have a huge impact on you at the minute, but as you get older, it, it would at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, there, there's the other thing as well. I mean, if you are worrying about this, there's the other thing as well of when something like that leaks out, quite often it's being fed by the government in power at that time so that they can then come in and, and sort of look at it as, as though they're riding to the rescue and say, oh, no, no, we're not getting rid of the uh, the triple lock pensions. Far from it. We'll always provide triple lock pension um you know, satisfaction and safety, just so that they can look like a like a hero riding in on on their horse at the last minute. Um, and we just say as well, before you get in touch with a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a lot of topics and we might have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thank you for joining us for episode 161 of the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well, or why not email Phil a question he can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question and Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. Please be assured we won't use your real name if that's how you prefer things. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us and please follow us on Apple or wherever you you get your podcast that way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it you get all the links you need on phil's social media good luck with your money phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further we'll see you next time and thanks for listening thanks john 